back in the chair, back on the bus. Welcome back, everybody, to the Bus Driver Experience. Good news, big news, massive news, possibly the biggest news ever. We got merch. We got shirts. We got phone cases. We got mugs. We got Rule 63 t-shirts. I know, I know, I'm excited for them because you know the rule. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. You're going to find that over at busdriverproductions.com. Go get your merch. Go buy some merch. Go get some merch. It supports the show. I really don't make anything back on it. I am just having you run around with stuff with my logo on it. That's it. That's all. And we really appreciate it. the support. It goes to this show because we can't do it without you. I can't do it without you. And any other news? Yeah, if you're new to the channel, you know the deal. Hit the subscribe button after the show, after you listen to the whole thing. Leave us a five-star review. It's kind of the currency for podcasts, people to come find our show. And go check out this video, uh, this show, because you can watch it on YouTube. You can watch the full video, all of the podcasts. Uh, actually, there's one or two I haven't done, but go check them out on YouTube. Go check out, and you can watch the stuff there. And there's usually a produced video with our guests and what they do, what the special thing that they do or the unique thing they do, because that's what the bus driver experience is all about. So I'm going to hop into today's guest, a good friend of mine, Allie Moore. And Allie is the... Allie is the founder of Buggable, which has become the leading media and PR brand for the insect agriculture industry. She's appeared on stuff like Netflix's Bill Nye, Food and Wine, Forbes, and I know what you're thinking, what the hell is insect agriculture industry? And how does someone get into it? Allie studied public health at Yale University, and after one night out in Mexico, eating a cricket taco after a long night out, she was like, holy shit, this is delicious. I got to learn more about this. And it's blossomed into this massive insect agriculture industry. She's become the leader in this space. And she focuses on spreading awareness about other sustainable and nutritional potentials that bugs can provide. Because imagine it, imagine Imagine having to use a fraction of the farmland we normally use for not just cattle and livestock, but agriculture. All the wasted land we use on corn or wheat or soy. Soy is just like cattle, one of the problems of people evading, invading lands of the Amazon. They're using it for farming lands. It's not just cattle, but soybeans are a massive problem. Imagine using insects and imagine using those insects once they die to enhance the biodiversity and enrich the soil in the land. You can also create fertilizers out of these things. Imagine decreasing the CO2 emissions and feeding billions of people with high quality food. Not just all the plant-based junk food that a lot of people get their nutrients and supplements and nourishment from. There's a lot of potential to this and Ali is the expert on this and we, 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 as we talk about this, we talk about this stuff on the show. now. I will warn you, we started off the show with a White Claw. Have shout out to White Claw. Get on the Claw Gang, guys. Enough about that. Let's get in the show with my friend, no, Allie Moore. Okay. Yeah. Wow, Claw <laughs> Gang. This is great. Which camera are we looking at right here? Claw Daddy. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, the the laptop is in the splash zone, but uh, cheers. I used Salud. To have a podcast. The last clause. Cheers. I'm serious. This is the last clause. These are the last clause in Los Angeles. <laughs> if we walk down to this bonds, I guarantee you we'll find some. You know, I'm going to go out to that bonds after because okay. these are the last clause. You had a claw? I haven't had a sip of it yet. I'm just basking and it's great. Well, that's what we're doing right now. The show's live. We started with that whole claw toast right here. So. <laughs> Man's first claw. Let's go claw! Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I want everybody to hear that. And, and like just White taste claw that. ASMR. Oh God. And the thing is we're 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 just going way too deep down the claw hole right now. Cool. Allie Moore, welcome on the bus. Thank no, no, you. we're not on the bus. It's bus driver experience. Like you can't say the old show. I mean, or else that just sounds can't do that. That's you know branding, marketing. But we're... I'm happy to have you on. Thank you. I am happy to be on. Yeah, we just got out of the kitchen and we had uh, our friend, other friend Allie, and we were eating a lot of bugs. Yes. Over in your kitchen over there, tarantulas, various forms of crickets and powders um we didn't need live crickets did we no no no, 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 no live no, no, but i'm no, saying no. we didn't have any whole crickets or we did in the bowl you did in the bowl you, you in fact ate the entire bowl do you have any of those things that we did eat just now uh or I mean, an example of a cricket so crickets? people can see uh yeah but also make sure you go check out that video Ooh. which camera am i pointing that at all of whichever them. one yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah we just ate a bunch of these and I know you're working really hard in the bug in bug advocacy. We'll call it. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to bring these things not just to the the mainstream or to popular culture, but you know, you're trying to make them taste good, and you're trying to make I wouldn't say taste good, but people have different associations, or they have different stigmas, or they have different bias biases. Would that be the plural there? Yeah. Towards insects, and you are the one who's running around the world, literally, and and you're you're changing it. And I mean, before we go into that, just like why bugs? I mean, you could have done claws like me. <laughs> See, I'm a claw advocate. And I'm just like, you know, people got to know about the claws. You're doing great work, by the way. I'm holding on to this thing with two hands. It's the last claw. I wouldn't be this this crazy about it if it wasn't the last claw. But yes, please go ahead. Why bugs? I mean, what is uh... your thing about bugs? All right, so first fact, I don't like live bugs. I will not kill the spider in the corner. Um, you know that. So uh, I like insects as a provocative way to open a dialogue about how what we eat impacts our bodies and the planet. Uh, it got started 2012, so many years ago, when I went to Mexico for a public health project, and they had these late-night taco stands. I'll try anything once, and one of the things listed was taco de chapulín. And that means grasshopper taco. So ate that. It was delicious and went home. It was almost Thanksgiving. I needed to prank my family. I was trying to Google like how to buy bugs for human consumption. The industry wasn't a thing yet. So I had to use the phone and call people. Did you have um, to use like Bitcoin and the dark web to, to buy bugs back then? No. I, uh, but I did have to use the phone, which is something that becomes increasingly, uh, strangely terrifying for people. Um, so I called cricket farmers, like heard their mission, like we are growing bugs for humans to eat because it's super nutritious, super sustainable and yada, yada. So that was how I got started. 
blogging to bug and wine pairings to bug dinners to getting to know everyone in the space and falling in love and trying to help them out now. In love with bugs. Yeah. Well, you know, in love with the mission and just like kind of the wackiness of the industry. It's like endlessly amusing and fascinating. What is the mission behind getting bugs into, you know, food, into, you know, mainstream culture? I mean, what's the point? Yeah. So, uh, again, I try to like temper the extremism in my messaging sometimes because it can seem like a bunch of crazy people who drank the same Kool-Aid and are on this crazy bug mission, which in some ways it is in a good way. Um, but the the whole point is that our global population is growing. It's going to hit 10 billion by 2050. And our current food system is really unsustainable and it's very complex. So it's hard to change that. Um, insects are super nutritious. They're super sustainable. They check a lot of boxes in terms of wanting to reduce the transportation cost of food, cost monetarily, but also on the environment, seasonality, forecastability, all these things. And, and insects are a solution for that. Um, even if people aren't eating them, they should be fed to livestock like chickens and fish. And they're not, or only recently are, like in January of 2019, um, black soldier fly larvae and some insects were approved to be used in certain fish meal and chicken feed, which is just baffling because those animals eat bugs in the wild. They have better health outcomes with less uh, antibiotics and uh, use less natural resources to produce. So a whole bunch of ways the insects impact the food system and feed system. And uh, we're just trying to get people open to that idea. Yeah, it seems like if you can get people to agree on one thing, it's cost. How can we save money and how can we make more money? Yeah. But I mean, besides that, what, where do I want to go with this? You know, what is the point of having, uh, you know, of trying to put bugs in there? Like, what's more sustainable? What isn't sustainable with our current food? Yeah. Food so, systems or, you know, logistics systems. Yeah, there's a lot. So um, stats vary greatly depending on how and what you're raising. But on average, it's going to be somewhere around like 2,000 gallons of water to get a pound of beef from the farm to your table. And it's like one gallon of water to get a pound of crickets from the farm to your table. And people will go, oh, crickets are much smaller. Okay, it's like that joke of um, what's heavier, a pound of bowling balls or a pound of feathers. They're both a pound, yeah. So yes, you need more crickets, but um, you know, for much less input, you get a lot more output. Uh, in addition to water, they produce less greenhouse gases than traditional beef. Uh, they take less space. So when you're thinking about urban farming or space travel, like they're a really viable option. And they also are cold-blooded, so they have a better uh, feed to body mass conversion ratio. So they take on like around, crickets take about 12 times less feed to produce the same amount of body mass as like a cow would. So all that, ethics are a great reason too. If you've seen Food Inc. or anything on Netflix recently, like Cowgate, uh, about the mistreatment of overcrowded livestock, insects are living their hypothetical best lives with other cricket friends and get to live their full lives out and then are put into a fridge where they're chilled and they fall asleep and then moved into a freezer where they mm. don't wake up, so. Yeah, you know, we live in this culture today that everybody is shocked, everybody's offended. So right away I'm thinking, you know, carnivores, meat eaters, they're, they're already heated. Well, listen, yeah, well, we can't get the same nutrients and we can't get the same stuff that we can't get from red meat. Cause I know it's a big thing with vegans and vegetarians that, you know, in red meat's one of the greatest sources of B12. 
as well as um, a lot of people get, get very deficient in iron because it's really hard to find those in other places. How does that compare with insects? So again, it, it varies based on the bug. Something like a grub will be higher in the omega-3s, where a cricket will be higher in the B12s. Um, but on the whole, insects are a complete superfood. So um, compared to beef, they actually have more protein in some cases. It's more bioavailable. They also have complete proteins. They're animals. Um, so all nine essential amino acids and the branch chains, if you have like 100 grams of crickets and 100 grams of beef, you might find that for a comparable amount of protein, you're getting more B12, um, more iron, more calcium, um, great amounts of phosphorus, magnesium, zinc, um, probiotics from the fiber and the chitin, or chitin, and then a uh, whole wealth of uh, micronutrients and different vitamins. So they stand up really well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard the whole thing about protein and then having you know more comparable protein when you put them side by side uh serving size wise but yeah has anybody been testing this in terms mm -hmm. of like of any of like uh freak athletes been eating strictly bugs and what would bugs be considered because you know if i gotta think about on the other side are vegans and vegetarians you know yeah. thinking that you are negatively impacting or you know physically hurting or torturing or whatever deep dark term those people's minds have those people i said it oh yeah um you know well how do they feel about this how do what do they think about you know switching over to insects and using this is it just about sustainability or is it more about virtue signaling for vegans so uh to address the first question um we have a lot of really great like uh different companies reaching out to different athletes and having them try their product out there are increasingly, uh, th there's an increasing amount of reports coming out about the nutrition content and the bioavailability of insects, which is super cool. Um, so you're gonna see much more literature available on that soon that kind of proves out the points that we're making. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like by all means, keep eating meat, isolate meat. I just think everything in moderation and especially for places and people that uh, have environments that can't support traditional livestock, like insects are a great option. So mm -hmm. we want to just cultivate that mindset, um, not a only bugs mindset. Yeah. For vegans, there is a community called Ento Vegan, and they get a lot of hate and a lot of love. Uh, it's a very polarizing question. I will never tell people what to think when their food uh, decisions are being made because it's something that can be very personal for vegans that are trying to do the least amount of harm possible, unless they're literally getting their vegetables from the farm to their table. Um, if they're getting them at Vons or like any grocery store, you have to get a huge variety of vegetables to get the amount of nutrition that you need in your day. Um, I think the big thing missing though is that most of those vegetables are just so lacking in nutrients these days because of the terrible biodiversity in soil itself. So a lot of that stuff doesn't get transferred over to the vegetables. So I know the big thing was when we had a, a carnivore, Sean Baker, a uh, doctor on the show, he was talking about, well, you know, just like anything, whether it's, you know, all these different plants or vegetables, or if I'm eating, you know, the entire part of a cow, I'm going to be getting this, all the nutrients that I technically need. And I can be getting those from an animal itself. And you're going to be getting just with the terrible uh, nutrients that are in plants and uh, vegetables and fruits today, or the lacking of nutrients that are in there, it's actually healthier for me to get most of my vitamins and nutrients from red meat. So that's where insects can help too. They're mm -hmm. actually 
a whole other part of the story is their impact on soil health and biodiversity. No, I think like you said, it, they're, they're definitely in there. They're, you know, they're con- like cows, you know, they're uh, passing on fertilizer to the land, making sure that there's something that they can continuously regenerate. I think that's the problem with crops. There's usually just one cycle of plants and the soil's getting destroyed. Yeah. And we've seen this with different droughts and famines or even the Dust Bowl in the 1930s when just all the topsoil of the land just dried out and got blown away. And people were out of, you know, food. They were out of uh, land, jobs, you know, things that make our civilization. You know, what are we without a, the jobs? Jobs make everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that these things can do that. But I think the huge problem is the stigma. You know, if you're going to tell someone, especially in another country, maybe that country, you know, doesn't have the availability of big farmland or, you know, livestock in order to farm it, to, to kill it, to eat it, that <clears throat> if you're not eating bugs on a daily, well, why are you making these people eat bugs? You know, it's, do you think they're less than you? Do you think they're below you? So I think that's the stigma, you know, is that something that you're working on too? Just say like, hey, these things are good for everybody. Yeah, um, that's why this originally uh, caught my curiosity. It's like a really fun marketing equation. And it's kind of like sushi back in the 1960s when that was considered barbaric and disgusting. And we had a lot of xenophobia at that time. And only poor people or foreign people eat raw fish. What the heck? Uh, And we're seeing a similar narrative now with insects. Two billion people in the world eat them. By saying that um, that's an apocalypse food or disgusting, we're saying your cultural cuisine is so nasty to me that I would only consider eating it if the world was ending. And like, that's not awesome. Um, Out here, I think we're making a real effort to not just market it as an emergency food. Like insects, of course, are going to be great if the apocalypse hits. You know, if the zombie thing happens, come to my place. I have like 10 years worth of food in here and it'll be shelf stable. But uh, we want insects to be started at the top so that they can migrate anywhere. If you can get chefs beyond just Noma, which was ranked the top restaurant in the world for a couple of years, they've made prolific use of insects for like eight years or so. Really? Yeah. And Noma's um, the one in... Um, Copenhagen. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've been to one of the top restaurants around Copenhagen, but I didn't make it to Noma. And I think everybody should go do one of those just insane dining experiences because it's so much more than just you know going there and eating food. It's literally when you go to those places, the production that goes into the eight or 13 course meal that you take part in, it's literally being transplanted or disconnected to whatever you were thinking or doing before. And the world that they're able to bring you into is the only thing that matters at that time. And the things they can manipulate with, you know, on your senses, whether it's on what you're going to be hearing about the food, as well as what you're going to be tasting about the food, it's... It's, it's very, 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 they're, they're artists. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And that's exactly why it's like chefs are the gatekeepers of human preference. Um, they set menus. Uh, and with that, though, they also have a responsibility. And we're seeing that happen more and more now where chefs are aware that what they put on their menu determines their establishment's environmental footprint and their patrons' nutrition options for the evening. Uh, so that uh, also comes with kind of a a mentality where they're providing you with an artful experience. It can impact the way that you view the world. And we're hoping that chefs that have a real strong ability to communicate passion or flavor or whatever 
can use their menus to educate folks about this new ingredient. How do chefs feel about it? Because you're talking about people like um, these very high class restaurants have used them, but they've been using for years. But how have they been using them? And like, how would that even look on a, a dish? Let's say, you know, if it was, we're going to take the steak out of a nice dish, what goes in, go, what goes in there now? Yeah. We're talking about giant cockroach now? I mean. Nope, nope. Probably not cockroaches for a while. I learned that's one way to scare people, actually. Um, oh, so they're just. Cockroaches. They're, they're just children. Later. We need to rebrand that still. Um, I think a good scorpion. Um, right now, already in Oaxacan restaurants, we're seeing amazing, like, Chapulín guacamole, or we're like, seeing like like an eight ounce like <sighs> scorpion, like this big, like no, substitute no, for that no, steak. No, 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 not yet. Um, I think that just start right now. What we're already seeing is like a restaurant in New York called Black Ant has a great. I think they serve grasshopper tacos. They have a grasshopper guac, and then they do black ants lining their margarita rims. I think that the cocktail masters are actually going to come into handy here. Like people will do weird things with their cocktails. They're, I think spirulina got a huge um, bump in their uptake by making these green drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping for flaming scorpion shots. I want black ant rimmed. I want grasshopper, uh, a grasshopper drink made with actual grasshoppers. I think mm-hmm. you said you have like grasshopper salt that you put on a rim of margarita. Yeah. Let me see this. So we, uh, a grasshopper on the rim oh yeah wow i mean me i'll i'll drink it but i mean what's the difference on these can we pop these open yeah, right yeah. now it's just blended grasshoppers for the flavor and then salt nothing nothing novel you wouldn't even know no but grasshoppers have a unique taste we've been over this in the back in the aftertaste of the end you can really what is it that people taste on them? Or is it just... So the grasshoppers are a little more muted. The crickets kind of have this um, aftertaste and it's probably from the omega-3s. It's like a subtle umami, slightly fishy flavor. Wow. That is salty. <laughs> Pairs perfectly with a claw I heard. Am I the first? Yeah. I, I actually would venture to say so. Mm. <laughs> Cricket salts and claws. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of. I just just ate a lot of salt, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you have things like this, though. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of um, dietary, like, sp- special dietary um, movement with crickets, for example. They're gluten-free naturally. They're, like, really high in a bunch of nutrients. So you can have chips that are gluten-free and, and packed with healthy things. So hopefully they'll be taken up by the celiac community or kids. Kids are amazing. Kids are going to be the force for change for bugs, for sure. Uh, So it might take another generation. But in the meantime, we can just start serving insects to our chickens and our fish. And that'll still have a huge environmental impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was really, really incredible what you uh, were explaining to me that substituting the amount of corn feed or grain as well as um, soy. I mean, you know, whether you're a vegetarian, vegan or carnivore, whatever, that, you know, the amount of impact that those things have on the planet, we're talking, you know, sustainability wise, you know, factory farming isn't just with meats, it's with a lot of vegetables and the amount that we produce. I mean, you think about the corn that we produce isn't really even edible in Iowa or Nebraska, wherever it's farmed. 
and it's just used for you know different bio bio uh biovaluable purposes i know like gasoline and ethanol is one thing for it so and it doesn't even work as good as gasoline but we created and it's like that that's just how we do it it's there let's put a few billion dollars towards it and you think about soybeans are literally causing um destruction in the rainforest you know it's not just it's not just all the cattle grazing and wiping out the trees and the forest and pushing more into it but creating these soybean farms because we need to be making all these soybeans for whatever purposes, whether it's going to be an oil or whether it's going to be for the, was it the uh, imami? Was it the, the dumb little things that people eat? Edamame? Edamame. Yeah, that's soy, right? Uh, I think so. Is that snow, s- snow peas or soybeans? Oh, I'm going to look real Let's just now. say it's soybeans <laughs> and it's just the dumbest <laughs> hors d'oeuvre or appetizer it's it's dumb it's a waste it does nothing for a dish it just no good taste i i think soy is terrible for people i think it's terrible for people's endocrine systems i think it does devastation to women's endocrine systems in terms of really enhancing and heightening their emotions or enhancing heightening their levels of whether it's going to be their estrogen levels and uh too much soy is going to jack up those things. I've seen women just start crying. Just like, what, crying? Well, what did you drink today? And just, well, I had a soy in my latte. It's like, how much soy did you drink in there? Well, a little bit. You think about it when a latte is made and how much milk goes into that and how much more milk than coffee. It's like, oh God, you're just doing it to yourself. I'm going to withhold judgment on that one until I look into it a little more. But I agree. Uh, soy is, you know, not not the best thing we've done with our agriculture system. Uh, anything at scale though has negative externalities that we don't plan for. Uh, and we need to be more mindful of that and start creating like efficient local systems with with better uh, logistical planning from the get-go. How is um, that whole process going with getting the feed, um, getting more bug feed to that? And especially if it's more nutritious or, you know, Again, we want, you want to create a culture, you want to create a community around people saying, because you say, okay, I order the corn feed, I don't even think about it, but how do you get people on board with the bug feed? And, you know, because we're thinking about farmers, middle America, who's talking to them? Are you talking to them? <laughs> how do you get them excited about this? Yeah, so uh, that is what I'm most excited about right now, actually, is like the progress happening on the insects for feed part. Um, in France, a company called Y-Insect just closed $125 million Series C, which broke records in the EU for any ag tech raise, which was super cool. Um, they have partnered with a big trout company and they're creating- What kind of company? Uh, Trump? Trout. Trout. Oh, Trout. A <laughs> yeah. Trump company. No, Trout. Uh, and <laughs> they have, um, like, it's a weird issue right now because it- doesn't make sense on first glance, but there's not enough bugs. And we're trying to scale up to fill bigger purchase orders. So right now, um, given the global, like the increasing middle class, there's an increasing demand for protein. We can't uh, fill that. So fish companies are under demand. Fish feed is really difficult. Um, There's a bunch of contaminants yeah it's factory fish farming is really tough because Horrible right now there's not really much water that gets to filter out in this little man-made pond unless there was this really great one in colombia they have a lot of just little man-made dug up little ponds huh. and a lot of trout farms however what they do is it's a kind of like a waterfall cascade so the water continuously flows down from pool to pool huh. might not be great for the fishes in the last few pools 
But yeah. unless it's just flowing and it constantly gets into circulate and clean out. But it was really cool how many people actually had those trout farms like that. And again, just like watching that one simple filtration process of the water flowing down downhill. Yeah, and we need more like attention to, uh, well, the charming and a, and a bunch of the uh, inputs and the controls for them. Long story short, we are struggling to hit one to two percent inclusion ratio in fish meal. So taking normal fish meal and then making two percent of that bugs. Um, so if we're able to do that slowly but surely for fish for chickens, what uh, else goes into the fish or chicken meal? Would that be grains and all, all the stuff that's already there, like corn and all the stuff that is? So you're just trying to get one to two percent of this hundred percent little pellet that's going to go in the pond to be made of bugs. Yeah, that's how slowly you have to move. Uh, yeah. In terms of saying, hey, let's make this whole thing a bug pellet because there's not enough bug farms in the world. Okay, so your thing's more of like there's we We're just don't scaling. Need, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a major chicken and egg issue where you want the money to build the bigger bug factories, but there's no precedent for having orders for the bigger bug factories. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a, a bit of a ways to go, but we're making great progress. We're having regulations change like every other month, it seems, and it's really, really exciting to watch. And the thing to get people on board is to say, how can you make them money? How can you save them money? And people really, really buy in to that avenue and aspect. Even yeah. if it's something that, like you said, there's it's bugs. Why would I get involved with this? How is, I mean, how do you create, again, we're, we're talking about creating a whole different, we wanna call it just sector of the economy, like, okay, or even sector of agriculture. Like we need people to start farming bugs. What does that look like? Hey, here's a cricket, plant it. You know, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. Or hey, here's a cow. Well, the cow needs however many months, let's say it's three to um, go through its uh, pregnancy cycle? Do we do, do we call cows when they get pregnant? Gestation pregnancy? period. Pregnancy, what's it called? Gestation period. God, it's a good thing someone knows that word. That could have been bad. <laughs> Gestation period, did I say it right? Yeah. And that takes three months. We're thinking maybe one cow in three months, but you know, with bugs, it's what? Hundreds of eggs, thousands of eggs in some cases. A lot of bugs. A lot of bugs and the just just gestation gestation periods what i'm sure a few days or maybe a month they the life cycle of a cricket it'll hit like sexual maturity like five to six weeks wow um eight weeks full life cycle maybe um we're continually improving upon this though so for like um a black soldier fly larva it can do eight to 20 days black soldier fly wow those ones are like the most fascinating insect they're they're just too gross go on, to talk Go on, go on, toss. Uh, so people aren't going to eat them because they're maggots, really. But they are so dang cool. They have amazing health outcomes for chickens. They have like super high calcium content, so the chicken eggs do a lot better. They're also enzymatic eaters, so they don't spread disease at all. So they don't have mouths. And they like sit in the, the, the food or the feed meal, and they kind of like digest it by uh, exerting, like, putting enzymes into it, like basically puking and like absorbing. Um, but they have antimicrobial and antipathogenic properties. So when you're feeding these to chickens or other animals, you're not worried about the transmission of disease upward in the food chain. Mm -hmm. They can also be used to sterilize um, massive systems. So looking at India, they have like a big infusion of capital trying to address the sanitation issues, especially around latrines. Um, BSFL, black soldier fly larva. They can uh, <laughs> they can de like devour 
uh, human waste, animal waste, and then turn it into clean, high value protein, which is so cool. Like, yeah, there's a lot of really fun things you can do. Whoa. Black BSFL, right? Yeah. Black soldier fly yeah. larva. So pretty gross. They smell pretty bad, but that's like the future of waste to value. Now, are any of these bugs? Um, yeah, I'm sure there's bugs that are native to certain areas and they can be places like you think of the term African killer bees and there's African killer bees in the U.S. Now, I remember that was like the thing that you would see as a kid. Quick pause. Yeah. Sure. Claw. Um, African killer bees are in Mexico. They're here. They're coming like but these things never actually harm anybody or harm anything. And is there any like bug that because they've definitely been invasive before. But is there a problem with like farming a certain bug because like, oh, wow, this thing has so much nutrition or nutrients. We need to start making this one right here. Is there is there one that you're like, no, 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 we got to keep Uh this one in its country or in its state? And it's like, yeah, I'm sure there's a ton. There's still so much research that is needed for this industry. Um, I know there are things like palm weevil larva um, or the sago grub, which you've tried. It's like that bigger one, those are an invasive species to the states, so you can't buy them alive over here, but you can buy them dried and all that good stuff. So um, I think that there's probably going to be an increasing amount of import-export rules around live species. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you if there are issues today with that, though. Yeah, I don't think so. But I do know that another big issue we do have is nobody's ever just put like 10 million crickets into the same building together before. Like nobody knows how to scale insects. And but, so- well, bugs can get out. I mean, it's not like, you know, my room, like if a centipede shows up, it's like, well, I didn't put it there. You know, it's it just got there, you know, crawled Magic. in. That's something. Well, let's not jump the gun on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, that thing's going to crawl in. It's going to get in places because, you know, we can't... Pr- perfect you know how we're going to prevent something from getting out so like you said you know 10 million crickets get out though i mean that's that's a problem it's not like you know we don't have 10 million cows in one place but you know if you have 10 million crickets and then just 1 million get out i mean that might do detriment to a local ecosystem uh, yeah so I mean, don't we call that a what is it called a when they get the they turn into locust and plague, plague. Yeah. We haven't had a good plague in a while. We're due for a plague. Las Vegas just had a plague of locusts. And I was like, that's a lot of protein, you know? But but how do you stop a plague? You eat it. No, I don't know. Seriously, um, really, could you? Yeah, you could You could get massive nets and or a an attractive food source or a beacon and like attract them all. The issue with that Light, is- Light, just like those uh, zappers? <laughs> kind of. How do you I, feel about the zappers? I mean, okay, so we were talking about PETA and veganism before. The one thing I have to say is, like, where were the complaints when um, bug zappers were invented or when houses get fumigated or when pest control gets used? Like, that is the worst way to die, in my opinion, getting asphyxiated by uh, a biocontaminant or a poison. Concentration camp level stuff right Nobody's ever complained about that. Murdering yeah. of thousands of insects, you know? Pest control, the Adolf Hitlers. Oh my God. Bugs. <laughs> wow. What a comparison. Well, your <laughs> word's not mine, but. I mean, I'm not calling them that. I'm just, you know, making, creating an idea and just shooting it out oh, to man. the to the world right now. Yeah. So, you know, on, on that note. Uh, I got to find out how um, PETA or vegans actually feel about fumigation. 
Yeah, I mean, my hope is to kind of just walk the straight and narrow as much as possible and not draw attention from. It's it's all about energy. If you're actually not going out and you're, you know, trying to portray, you know, a positive, strong, solid message, no one's going to be messing with you. Thank you for that it word of advice. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, yeah. The things I say, the claws I... Ironclad. The last claw in Los Angeles. How's your claw? It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, Baby grapefruit. Or ruby. <laughs> ruby grapefruit. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't getting upset about that. I'm just okay. like really enjoying this claw because, you know, when the next claw is going to happen, there's it's like a, pl- a, a plague for claws right now. Does the prophecy foretell of when the claws will be returned? We have to pull like a, a sword out of a stone or something because that's the only way we're going to know if the claws are returning. Well, you know, um, maybe the next event I do will be a claw and bug pairing where we get different grasshop results and, um, you know, blended up mealworms and ants and put them with their best claw flavor. I know it's uh, that's one of the big things you do is um, I wouldn't say is it strictly wine or do you different um, alcohol pairings with the We've bugs? We've done beer, we've done scotch okay. and wine. So All right. Which great. bugs go with which alcohol? Um. So with a cricket or mealworm or something else, it's a little bit more on the mushroom, a little umami, kind of like nutty flavor. You're going to want to go with a very neutral, soft, kind of medium bodied red. So think Pinot Noir, very muted, um, very balanced, nothing too exciting there. Uh, I'm going to back up a minute, though, because I'll always start the pairings off with a gateway bug. So something like a gateway bug. Yeah, yeah. It gets people into it. And then it lets them know this is going to be a dad humor type event. So they have to be prepared. So we'll do like a chirps chip. Yeah, you're start. pretty good at the puns. I've read your blog. I mean, the the puns are good. Thank you. Bug puns. Thank you. Big fan. Me too. <laughs> um, we'll do like a chip or protein bar or something like that. And mm. then we'll pair that with a bubbly because... It's like a party to celebrate we're starting it. And also technically, if you have a, a bubbly drink, the bubbles lift the oils off of products and you can get to the flavor a little bit more. Um, then we'll go in through some light reds. It's try- It's kind of hard to balance because you go from uh, light to dark with wines when you're doing a wine pairing, but that doesn't always match up with the bug order. And I'm trying to like get people up to the bigger bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we'll do uh, grasshoppers or something that's like a little bit more flavorful with a cab franc or something that's a little tannin heavy um when we get into the grubs those are meaty like the bacon of the bug world those will get pay- paired with something that's very full-bodied kind of like um a zinfandel if you have something like a scorpion that's a little bit more seafoody you're going to want that to go with a sauve blanc mm-hmm. and if you have something like um you know ants that have a little bit of an acidic taste you want those to go with either an acidic white or something peppery, like a peppery Syrah. There you go. Hmm. And you've done these with different companies. I mean, businesses, individuals, groups. I mean, are you going to a, like a, it was like a book club in the Simi Valley, like a bunch of moms and saying, <laughs> hey, we, we want to do a bug pairing. Or I think you've even done done one of those with like Bill Nye. Yeah, I, we didn't do a pairing, but I cooked, I cooked for him. Okay. Um, and, and Margaret Cho, that was fun. Um, she loved the insect. She was like, no problem. Uh, I made them a good scorpion ceviche, uh, with, um, 
who else is Papa Roach? They've eaten a bunch of bugs. Really? They were the most scared. Last resort, <laughs> like, Papa Roach? Yeah. Yeah. They were one of my first like bigger opportunities. And that was with like Sean Evans on Hot Ones. And that was super fun. Um, and then let's see. Uh, I've done it frequently with like different sommeliers from like different vineyards. And they are the most fun to work with because I do not have a refined palate. I'm working on it. But they will be the ones that like give me the flavor words that make it click. Like, oh, yeah, this tastes like a big mouthful of concrete, but in a good way. Or like this bug <laughs> reminds me of uh, wet leaves fresh after rain, which is like a very apt description for mm-hmm. one insect in particular. And like I was like, OK, that makes sense. Yeah, it's cool what they can do with words. What do you think gives them the um, the whatever experience it is to to be able to understand, to be able to express that? Because I think expression is like just such the big trait right there. I mean, like we're talking about the restaurants, these sommeliers, like, you know, what do you think gives them like the ability to do that? Training, like I think that it, the more I never thought I'd be in the food space, like my sister cooks, I don't. But now I do. Um, and it is so dang cool, like how um how much training goes into this and like how much consumer psychology and just like understanding and grasp of uh, language and sensory perception because you need to get, um, you want to recall a memory or an experience into the flavor description. You want to recall like what's actually happening in your mouth and on your tongue. Like, is it causing salivation? Is it causing like mouth dryness? Like what is that? And then you want to um, relate it to just a flavor or a combination of flavors that elicit somewhat of like an emotional response. So like uh, the rainfall one is like really good or not just, you know, cookies or cinnamon, but mom's Christmas cookies, right? And the way that they're able to create stories and emotions with food, it's like you eat with your eyes and your mouth, but also your ears too. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like a good blend of the biggest thing that everybody's moving into is you know, where the arts or spirituality and science come together. Yeah. It's a way to express and explain, you know, reason, which is everybody wants a reason. They want a definition. They want an understanding of something. But if you can give them, you know, that unique flair and something of what I would call is making it relatable. You know, when you make a story, how do you make this, you know, for somebody here in this country, in this country? And how do you make them both see, you know, the significance or the humanity in yeah. that. And that's really what those people do. It's Yeah. What better way to bring people together than food? Mm. Who else have you tried food? So you have Bill Nye, Margaret Cho, Papa Roach. How was um, Bill? Oh, he was great. I mean, I was a little kind of like, what? At first, because he wasn't at all interested in like talking to me to like learn about bugs. But the reason for that was because he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know. Bugs are the future of food. So anyway, tell me more about this like lab grown meat. Um, so he was hip with it to the point of like just having it down. Like he didn't need to be convinced at all. He wasn't hip interested. With it. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I think Bill Nye is the most progressive uh, science spoke person out there. He's, he's a you man. Know, yeah. Green New Deal, climate change. I mean, he's he's taken it to the forefront. but yeah. And he's taken the brunt of it too. He's been... Uh, Kind of a, you know, Bill, just don't go on Fox News. Just don't go there. People think a certain way over there. It's You're not going to convince anybody. You can try. It's not going to look good for him. He didn't look good in that one interview with Tucker Carlson 
Didn't watch it. Oh, uh, don't. Don't. Poor Bill. Poor Bill. Good boy. Yeah. Send him some sympathy bugs or something. No, he needs sympathy bugs. And uh, yeah, just don't go on there and talk about climate change because uh, he looked really bad on the climate change thing. About planning on it. Yeah. I, yeah, it's a rough time right now for a lot of science and, and you know. What is? Uh, the political climate right now, the fact that science is being called into question um, based on, uh, I don't know, just politics and, and personal belief systems, which is so strange to me. Like, that's not the time that I grew up in. Um, but I think that's where also, again, like, it's so important to have role models and Bill Nye types, but also like actors and actresses like um, using their platform for good and to support a cause like Meatless Monday or like just, you know, walking or, you know, not I'm, driving I'm, a car I'm everywhere. I'm Meatless Monday. I'm sorry. That was the first thing that came to mind. You can be <sighs> part of war all you want. Um, like that's also great too. <sighs> I take it back. Not really. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And it, the point being that it would be a great thing for people to continue the trend of using their platform just to make people more mindful about how they're impacting things. Completely. I think awareness and, you know, taking on the Zoom perspectives opens people's minds up. I think the issue is that there is, you know, you talked about like the, what kind of meat was that? The uh, meatless meat. Kidding. The meatless meat. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, have you had that, first of all? The lab-grown meat? Yeah. Yes. And? Uh, I mean, I think that it's fascinating. I think the price point's a little ways off, though. Like, like anything. Any new technology. Yeah. It's basically what it is. It's like, hey, we've been able to create this thing, and it looks just like ground beef. And it looks just like a cheeseburger, but it's not meat. Yeah. The thing so the... I know they hate the term lab-grown meat. Sorry, guys, if you're watching this. But um, yeah, the I forgot what they like to call it. The meat that is grown in a lab. That's one thing. But then you have like the impossible and the beyonds. What are those made out of? So those are made, they are made from a variety of things like pea proteins and like a bunch of different, they're taking the anim, or the um, plant proteins and then just kind of reformulating them into uh, an animal-esque protein. The issue with that though that I hope people still understand is that just because it's plant-based doesn't make it healthy for you. Um, it's still processed food. So, so long as we're like all on the same page about that, then there are some alternatives. It's interesting you said that because I know, um, for example, any place that says we serve completely fresh food, it's like, we can't put this in our restaurant because it's still processed. Like it would go against who we are in our mission statement. I think it was actually Chipotle. Um, they were trying to get the impossible meat in there, but it's like we make everything fresh that day, huh. you know, or we're cooking it up right there. If we put this meat in there and you look at the actual ingredients on this processed, um, the impossible meat, and it's like, wow, it's a bunch of oil and it's a bunch of hydrogenated different vegetables. Um, all blended and merged together and it's like is that healthy right right away you know like i said i think people again you think about talking about terrible jumping point or talking points no it's not good it's never gonna be good like oh, it's it's the first of its kind enough don't be dumb is it great should we all be eating it now no and again is the price point where it's at no but hey look at it maybe don't eat it just yet don't try it just yet it's not a bug it's not a bug 
both show there. Um, but let's continue to grow on it. Let's continue to be able to. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, have you seen the new documentary um, produced by James Cameron? I don't know if it's out yet, but they made a trailer. And I'm in these like carnivore groups and oh my God, they hate it. James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jackie Chan's a producer on it. Um, Chris Paul, it's Chris Paul. But all these four people are heavy investors into one of those impossible meat companies. So again, is that propaganda? Is that education? Because you're trying to educate people on the subject. But when you watch the trailer and it's like, I understand creating an education because you have to create the entire culture around what this new this new thing is on people. And the things don't just happen just, okay, one day it's injected in. Just, you know, it slowly builds on people. Sushi is the greatest example. But, you know, like, the, I think the dumbest one they did was, well, look at gladiators. Gladiators were, you know, these strong athletes and they were killing people, you know, for a living. And there were these warriors. And it's like, these were slaves. These were people who, you know, were forced to fight for their lives. They probably weren't fed the best. I think they were fed like paste that was just, you know, mushed up and just in a pallet on a mallet just given to them right there. Not not your best example or best case. And What was their point with the gladiators? That I mean, these guys did this not on eating animals, you know. They were doing this here. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about humans is like we're so adaptable. Like, yeah. Our systems can eat whatever. I Especially think. pushed to the extremes. We yeah. we find a way. Life, that's, that's the whole term of life. Like life needs to find a way to survive. And when, you know, there's not 8 billion people, these cells that actually make our decisions in our entire body. And I think it's what, like, you know, the idea of probiotics and prebiotics and the amount of little organisms that live inside of us. The there's like 3 billion or 3 trillion of them. More. And... There you go, even more, which is even more than people, and that's just in one person. So how much of these things are actually making those decisions for you, and how much free will and choice in the matter do you actually have? Or are these yeah. things all combining together to say, hey, we know what we need to continue to survive. You are the host. Or how would that be? Would those things be the host? Or the body is the host? The body is the host. It's like another universe in there. I'm a big Universe, believer. but it's almost like a whole. It's the second brain, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of thinking with your gut. I mean, you think back, you know, wherever that term came from, whether it was a few hundred years or a thousand years ago, that humans were were able to figure that out and to know that something is actually going on in there and something is actually happening Yeah. to create and coin that term. To clarify that, like, it's not like a brain brain, but it, it, it is might a be one cell thick layer, a permeable membrane between your blood and the gut. But and- it might be. To the extent that, like, I do believe that, like, a lot of our emotional drugs, hormones, they're produced here. So, like, what you're eating will definitely impact if you're happy or sad or anxious or whatever, healthy. Uh, And I think having a very diverse gut microbiome is going to be critical. How do you describe the word health? That's my favorite question. Ask somebody in food. That's so hard. And medicine. Health can be described as, like, the absent absence of illness it's i do not have a good definition for you there i think that we have such a poor understanding of health we have the propensity to think that neurological biological whatever diversity means not healthy anything abnormal means not healthy which is totally false as like diversity is not just great for crops but for humans too like both in terms of like how we think to how our bodies operate um 
So I think that health is just a holistic stasis of personal, highly individualistic balance. Um, And to get there, we have been overwhelmed in the past and our doctors and our nutritionists have these silver bullets that are not at all effective on the individual basis and that we have to be more in tune with what health means for us so that we can reach that state. And it might look different for every person too. Well, that's the thing. I mean, civilization, we've, you know, created this base level term of what is healthy. What you do you know? think health is? What do I think health yeah. is? I think that's homeostasis. And I think homeostasis is unique to every individual. You know, everybody's middle is not the same. And that's the issue that we've, not the issue, but we've done such a great job of, you know, people don't look at the positives of civilization or, you know, central organizations that have, you know, positively contributed to the progressive movement of society in this linear line. You know, we've moved so far in a linear line for so long. It's scary to think when the tumble of civilization happens because we've only moved linear. It's, you know, markets don't move linear, but, you know, humanity has moved linear, which is scary because one bad thing that can happen because we've had such a good run whether it's a rock hitting uh, hitting Earth from outer space, whether it's, you know, someone pressing the wrong button in Chernobyl, Ukraine, um, <laughs> but doing that and someone not being able to go. And you see that documentary with Chernobyl that's on HBO, the five-part series? The documentary? <laughs> w- would that be considered a documentary? No. <laughs> no? No. Live action. Live action. Chernobyl. There we go. Have you seen it? Uh, parts of it. You didn't finish it? No, it's not. I don't want to watch that alone. Like I'm like watching this at night and it's just not going to make me have good dreams. So I'm just parsing it out. Oh, yeah. I definitely get your heart jacked and racing. But, you know, I mean, that's one thing. Do we have these nuclear power plants all on the planet? As much as I believe nuclear power is probably the best and viable option for people to be using. And it's a lot safer than people actually know, have knowledge of. Um, But, you know, one some human pressing the wrong button or having a heart attack and can accidentally wiping every button on the board right there. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're so fortunate and lucky to have all this stuff happen. So back to your thing about health, <laughs> oh boy. this show's all about tangents. Um, it's yeah. It's like, how do we continue? What's the next step? What's the next move forward to say, okay, we have everybody on this baseline. We're, yeah. we're still working to get everybody on this middle ground baseline, but what's the next progression? What's the next step to say, okay, this is what we deem as healthy, but okay, maybe we can change people's cholesterol levels because telling everybody that a high cholesterol is bad or a marker of 200 is bad is not actually the case. All right, we did a good job. It served its purpose, but that's the hardest thing. For us as people or humans, we don't want to, we're good with that. We're comfortable. We're very, 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 we love comfort. And any little thing to invoke change, we hate change so much. We live in the safest and smoothest time. When you tell somebody something's not going to be the way it once was. Oh, you're wrong. Yeah. Hey, we're going to eat bugs and maybe steak or meat's not going to be around forever. Oh my God. And again, I love steak. I love meat, but that might happen. Tomorrow, uh, a certain disease might happen that, you know, wipes cows off or that species of cows off the earth. Yes, I speak in very doomsday scenario <laughs> advice. These are the things that I think about. Yeah. What happens then? You know, where do we pivot to? Where do we evolve? Where do we uh, roll over into? 
Yeah, I think um, I too think about the impending apocalypse now. Uh, so By I think the second. Yeah, you know, I, I I feel that not just because I'm involved in the space, but like I, I truly heartfeltly that was not a word, but. I believe that heartfeltly. heartfeltly. I make up words on the show all the time. Ask Brian. This, this yeah. Brand new words and created every single episode. It's amazing. The dictionary we published just like the next swag piece, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, rule 63 is going to be a great one. So we have a couple big issues in the world. We need to think more about how what we eat actually impacts us and the world. We become very detached from that. That'll get fixed. Bugs are, you know, helpful. They're very provocative. Great marketing tactic. We need diversity uh, in our crops, and that is coming to crisis level. Like there's um, maybe a handful of plants that have taken over all of our ecosystems. Like we are killing off crop diversity, and that's going to be a massive issue. Um, And then just general biological diversity, soil health, all of that. So insects also play into that. Surprise, surprise. Um, They're like this huge untapped resource that has um, impacts like for medicine and for feed and for food. But I think the most important one that we don't talk about is that biological diversity. And so having something injected back into our food and feed systems that can have a good impact on that, I think will be game changing. Are bugs used as fertilizer in that way? Yeah, so the really cool part about insects is that it can not just be like less resource intensive, but whereas like plants and animals extract, so we're in an extraction-based agricultural system. Instead, we can, work in a system that is a closed loop, sustainable, additive agricultural system. Someone could even say it's even a play on, you know, how else we uh, treat people in our society. We're very selfish and we, you know, we're all about extracting and taking things instead of providing value Yeah, and exhibiting value to other people. These insects, like it, it's pretty cool how they can work where you're eating the whole bug. Um, there is still insect shells uh, waste from their, um, molting process and then there's insect poop so insect waste is called frass they poop they poop mm-hmm. crickets um do we oh. have any cricket poop can i see how big like a cricket i might poop? have some bug poop actually um she has bug poop I'm, i have to go find that but um i think i have yeah like a bug how big poop. are we talking it's like tiny. Well, so but from a cricket farm like, could I that be bug ton. poop in my hand right there <laughs> no likely not but it, would that be the size we're talking about bug poop right i there? mean maybe probably smaller but like from a farm you have a sizable amount and it's called frass, and it's super, super high quality fertilizer. So, boom! Like literally every part of it's Do like we have useful. Do you worry about white nationalists like acquiring a lot of fertilizer and blowing something up? Like, oh bug- my god! We do? Um, no, I don't. I don't know. Uh, okay, because usually they get fertilizer. Isn't that a thing? Like these white nationalists who want to make explosives, <laughs> they use like fertilizer. I'm not looking at you because you're white. I, <laughs> I was asking. It's like a thing. I figured people would know because I think I know that. That's yeah. Fertilizer and bombs. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. People who buy a lot of fertilizer get like looped into the terrorist watch list because apparently, if you buy copious amounts of fertilizer, it can be used for explosives or one of the main ingredients. Yeah, they have they have like a lot of uh, nitrogen, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be a risk in the future. But if there's enough frass out in the market for that to happen, well, no, we want the frass. The frass (laughs) is good, but like I said, I mean. We gotta be be careful about people buying a lot of insect frass. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure to watch out for that. We'll alert the authorities and have it properly traced. And that's the watch list. Yeah. Mm. 
Uh, but you know, uh, we can't build a wall around that. But we can, we can, we can stop them. We can stop. <laughs> they'll, they'll like climb and fly over it. These little guys are strong. Oh yeah. So what's there's there's this um that insects like comparative to their size, the amount of strength that oh, they're they have insane. is like just like the ratio is just unbelievable. Yeah, and I think that's like uh it's like oh if a bug were ever to get like ridiculous size like in a Godzilla movie. It would never be able to even walk, but you know the amount of strength that those things have is just incredible. Does that have anything to do with their not their genetic makeup? But I know the exoskeleton. Like even if you step on a bug or you try and kill a bug, they're usually pretty resilient. It's like well, I just use my shoe or my hand, and that thing's that thing's still going. Yeah, um, I mean they're just fascinating. Let's creatures. Talk about our bug, bug homicide right now. So, uh, hanging out with. <laughs> Uh, entomologists, which is, I'm an entomophagist, someone that eats bugs. I'm not an entomologist, which is somebody that's vastly more knowledgeable than I and infinitely exciting to talk to. Uh, highly recommend you get one on your show. Mm -hmm. They know all the things about send all the bugs. One. Oh, yeah. I will send you really fun people. But yeah, they will tell you stories about how um, this insect can... Uh, Scale a wall, fall ten stories, molt mate. I don't know. I'm I'm a bad bug storyteller, except for when they're dead. I can tell you what they taste like. I think one of the most unique things that you do is um, is the way you talk about money, or in terms of zeros, like millions. One of the big things you do is raise money um, for these companies, and you're you know, you're both very resourceful, and you understand the business side and the marketing side. You know, where you're testing and pairing all these different bugs on how they taste to bring out to people. And I think that is, you know, unique perspective to look at things. You're not looking at zeros, you're not looking at numbers, you're looking more with the farmers or, you know, the, let's say the culture itself needs. You know, how, how, where did you get this background in raising money and, you know, in the business side of it? Because I think that's where your, your forte is and your knowledge is. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like expertise. The <laughs> we'll call it. That's the word I'm looking for. Oh, shucks, thank you. It, uh, it's some my claw apocalypse right now, so I'm just thinking about when the next claw I'm gonna have, and probably never again. So it's just like in the back of your head. Stop. That's that in the front. Well, um, first, thank you. I think it's it's nice to kind of poke into that side of the business. It's not the one that ever ends up on Instagram or stuff. It's not as fun to talk about, but uh, it is fun to do. Um, so my background in the business stuff and the fundraising came with my first startup um, and through that process. But this is my first time on the uh, raising for venture side of it. And um, I think that cannabis is an interesting parallel where a lot of people feel like they missed the boat on this booming industry now because back when it was the right time to get into a space that had companies that are undervalued, um, undercapitalized, and needed capital at that moment to really scale. It's hard to know without a lot of precedent, how do you look for health, like signs of a healthy company? How do you actually diligence these? How do you evaluate them and also source them? So I've noticed that same gap occurring in the insect industry. And I want to um, put together different funding vehicles to set precedent and also provide much needed capital to companies at the time they need it most. And in doing so, and it opened the door for a lot of people that I've spoken to that have said, you know, like my investor committee is full of like 65 year old white dudes. They're not going to be first movers in the bugs, but I guarantee you show me a track record, like show me some diligence teams, like show me some successful investments. We will not be the first movers, but we will be the fastest followers you ever met. 
And so that is beyond motivation enough to like uh, put in the effort myself. You know, I would love to do bug and wine pairings nonstop and just like do fun marketing stuff. But at the same time, like if I want the industry to be big enough to support me, I'm going to put the industry there myself. And so I want to like be a part of the teams that are working to drive capital to these businesses. There are some incredible opportunities out there right now that are raising their seed, pre-seed, series A, um, that are doing the pioneering work for mass bug rearing, uh, rearing and for um, claiming the distribution networks for like backyard chicken feed. And these are massive, like $10 billion plus markets. And you never want to do like a top. Anyway, I'm rambling, but it's fun. It's really necessary. And it's um, a very, very big space compared to what a lot of people are thinking about when they think cricket protein bars. Mm. What is the biggest thing or I mean, is it money? I know you talked about or just having enough of the source. You guys just don't have enough bugs. We don't have enough bugs. But you said also that 2 billion people eat bugs. Is that knowingly? Because I think uh, there's like a study that a certain amount of bugs like fall into our, our mouth when we're sleeping. that's a wives' tale. Is it? Yeah. I, it was like a study like that was said to me on like a radio show one time. And it just really stuck in the back, that part in the front of the head. You know, the one you play with white claws. <laughs> but yeah. So that's not a thing that bugs just, just, so. just fall into your mouth when you're sleeping? Mm-mm, no. Hmm. I, I, I'll alive, double check. Live too. I mean, yeah, you can't eat live bugs. Again, only eat farm-raised bugs. Eat bugs that you know what their diets were. Eat bugs raised for human consumption. Otherwise, not good. You don't know. Uh, we don't have enough bugs because there we need to build bigger bug facilities. The biggest opportunities I think are first in insects for feed, insects for pet food, insects for humans. Yes, there's two billion people in the world that eat them. But it's often as like part of a cultural dish. Like South Korea has boondoggy. Wait, wait on your South Korea thing. That's just dun, dun, dun. elevator music. Cuts to the cat. Just hanging there, hanging on the phone line. I won't do that around your equipment. Are you out of claw? Huh? You're out of claw? That's such a myth. You guys it's are starting not. that room yourselves. It's not. You were literally starting that room yourselves. We have a whole thing in our fridge. You have you have the last case. <laughs> Do you know how lucky you are? I, I could literally have my roommates, they would buy that from you. I'm extremely fortunate. I mean, they also have they just their Trump straws should be coming in soon. So they would be drinking their white claws with the Trump straw. You know he raised a million dollars. Did Trump they Trump. really buy some? Absolutely, yeah. Fascinating. You can't drink a truly. <laughs> okay, we were talking about South Korea and the bugs. <laughs> yeah. So Hold on, let me make a note on here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, of the two billion people in the world that eat bugs, it's just not a normal ingredient. It's like bundagi in South Korea, or it's fried crickets in China, or it's ants in Cambodia, or it's um, grasshoppers in Oaxaca. Uh, So we've yet to see insects themselves become a part of just another ingredient. That'll be fun. Um, But again, I think that even before that happens, like it'd be nice to see us feeding our chickens, bugs, better health outcomes, more sustainable. Well, I mean, they already eat those things, I think. In the wild. Well, especially chickens. No, no, no. I mean, mean, chickens are just... They're just poachers. I mean, they'll eat anything 
that's placed out there. And I think bugs is like a big part of their thing. And like, um, I know this is a problem with uh, vegans who are, or, who are just feeding like their cats, you know, no meat. And these are, I wouldn't say they're carnivores, but primarily felines yeah. have a background of being carnivore. I don't know a lion that's just eating grass. You know, same family, the cat and the lion obviously aren't the same, but you know, the same thing goes with chickens that we're just only feeding this thing grain. And it's not, well, this thing is, you know, it'll eat and poke that beak at anything and kill it. I mean, worms, grubs, anything can get its beak on. So, I mean, that's the thing that's already happening. And I think anybody who, you know, is a fan of eating chicken and getting them more even jacked up, instead of injecting all the antibiotics and testosterone or <clears throat> whatever else they do to just, those chicken breasts are just ginormous. You ever seen a chicken breast by itself or taken two? And it just put them together and just like, oh my God, like this chicken must have been huge. <laughs> I can't say I've done it in that manner. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm putting them up in my <laughs> chest like this, but still, I mean, two chicken breasts, like, whoa, this thing had to be massive. And I think even like the cases, like, you know, when one of these uh, animal rights organizations gets into these chicken coops, they, you know, these chickens can't even walk or stand because they've been injected in their breast to make those delicious white meat chicken nuggets <laughs> that come from a chicken breast and you're like oh wow you know think about the chicken that just got hopped up on steroids for me sucks yeah i'm just thinking about the delicious <laughs> chicken nuggets i made so i mean uh i'm not sure if there's chicken and chicken nuggets in your chicken nuggets i'm sure there are but another one. Oh yeah but probably not a fast food chain no um yeah so Backyard, small chicken farmers, they can feed them whatever. It's actually an unregulated feed market. But for large industrial farming, like insects weren't like illegal to feed uh, until recently. And that's latent mad cow era regulation that was only recently updated because people are lobbying like us. Yeah. Um, but we'll see more of that soon. I think that um, you'd be surprised by the number of people, though, that have an issue eating uh, a fish or a chicken that's eaten bugs. Like people are like, ew, I don't want my chicken to be eating bugs. Do you know fish, what your livestock eat a lot of bugs eating? too as well. Yeah. I think pigs are allowed to eat chicken manure. I'm not sure. I heard something like that. It's, it's you know. Well, yeah. pigs are great. Big they're smart. Of, I haven't spent enough time with one. I heard they're more intelligent than dogs. I hear that. I have not spent enough time with them. I'd love to and then maybe eat it after. Um <laughs> And then we can test its intelligence to its taste. Okay. <laughs> you have fun with how, that. How psychotic does that sound? Does that sound <laughs> a little over the top? Like Patrick Bateman right there? Oh, man. You know. Or is that Hannibal Lecter more right there? Oh, God. I don't know. I well, don't know. I mean, at least I have the perspective to think about these things, you know? I mean, who else is going after their food for its intelligence? I don't know. Unpopular opinion. This is going to sound horrible, maybe. Um, Go ahead. I would be extremely curious. Like, let's just say, like, my arm gets oops, cut off in like a motorcycle accident. Like, if there were a way to cook that up, I would be down to try that. I'd be curious, you know. So there's a cannibal tribe in India. I'm really hoping to eat some human meat with them. I mean, I mean, hopefully we can kill the human too. I mean, hmm. farm to table. I mean, you got to be, you know, where would the people if you're not going out and eating your the meat you catch i'm just thinking like my own you know just like taste just to see what it tastes like i don't know if i could do that for another person though yeah 
We do that with animals. Yeah, I don't know. I but people, you know, more gross. Probably. I don't know. I eat a lot of good stuff. I'd imagine I, I would taste. Delicious. We got into cannibalism now. Yeah, there's no no telling where the show's gonna go. Okay. Would PETA or any of these other, like you know vegan organizations would they be on board with this move to crickets or have they been? I mean, I know you talked about the other organization before with um, what were those people called that eat Ento bugs? Ento vegan. Ento vegans. Mm -hmm. So we have Ento vegans. <laughs> Whatever about them. <laughs> um, no, no, they sound like great people. But you know, is the, is it that this is an animal? It's a part of the animal kingdom in terms of in terms of the science naming in of uh, the uh, species. And so yeah. this is a living thing. Can't harm it. What's what's so, their what's their deal? Again, it kind of depends on if they are a health or sustainability vegan. Uh, I've seen a lot of vegans be totally okay with the idea of bugs, and logic supports that. Um, that being said, though, if they are vegan for ethical or like more personal religious esque reasons, and it comes to killing a life form. Totally respect that as well. Again, I ask that maybe some math can be done where like you're killing more bugs in the process of collecting your vegetables than you would if you just ate the amount of bugs that that vegetable nutrition equaled. But I understand like the whole intent behind it and um, am so respectful of people's personal food choices. Mm -hmm. But um, why we don't know like the EU did actually rule that insects can't feel pain and that their central nervous systems are not that of other livestock animals. Um, I have seen studies where tomatoes scream when you cut them off a vine. Like there's a spike in this chemical that is their communication uh, chemical. Really? Mm-hmm. Go on. And Can we so, more about that? yeah, I mean, I, I need to find this report. I like reference it so many times and I'm 100% sure it exists, but. Yeah, sausage party's real. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is like, it's so hard. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Douglas Hofstadter, and he has this book called I Am a Strange Loop, and it talks about levels of consciousness. And it's like, you know, is a baby life worth more than a 90-year-old woman's because of potential? Or is the 90-year-old uh, woman's because there is technically more consciousness there? And there is this vast spectrum between person, cow, fish, What's mosquito. I Am a Strange Loop. It's one of my favorite books. Reading it. It's amazing. You would actually love it. He's probably ordering it on Amazon right now. He read, also wrote Golder Esther Bach. He's like a great mathematician philosopher who addresses like really, really cool theories of mind and like what it means to be an I. Um, at the end of the day, though, like it, writings like his prove one thing to me, which is that consciousness is complex. Our understanding of who we are and why we're here is complex. Um, things that relate to that are super emotional and you're not going to get anywhere if you are just like, I am right, everyone else is wrong. So I think the point here is that we have options and we have a little mystery around where bugs fall. Let's work with that. Mm -hmm. Like there's probably multiple right answers to that question. I choose to eat them. Other people don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people really don't, uh, they fail to either understand or just know that a lot of these animal rights or even um, diets are, are some of them are based out of religion, especially um, I want to say veganism, but seven day Adventists, they're very profound on not eating any meat at all. And is, is um, would that be based out of veganism or vegetarianism? 
I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I, know, I know, again, we're talking about, you know, lobbying and promoting. I mean, there is a massive lobbying campaign from the Seventh-day Adventists or any, you know, vegan or vegetarian agenda. I mean, that, that carnivore Sean Baker I had on my show, like, he's like just going all in right now it's like there's just look massive at the meat agenda. lobbying now it's insane there it's again like there is a whole meat lobby as well and advocating and pushing but again how people fail to continue to look outside themselves like hey this is not just about me how can i do that but you know how do we find this place for people in society if we say it's supposed to be evolutionary biology and well, you didn't find the right way to survive or pick the right career, or pick the right thing. Do we actually take care of people or do we just say, hey, leave them to the wayside and just die out because, you know, you shouldn't have been a coal miner and that, that you shouldn't knew that industry was going to die. But we don't do that. And that's like social justice and social care about the people who live in your country. So that's where we move on from. That's where we push on from. That's light, where we develop. Light topics. I mean, if someone needs to be talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here. Um, but Allie, I think we are going to be signing off. Please, please tell people where they can learn more about bugs, where they can work with you, and your, your blogs, socials. Um, and yeah, where they can find you, where they can connect with you. Awesome. And thank you. Um, yeah, so I am at Bugable, B-U-G-I-B-L-E. That's uh, how you pronounce it. I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Not Bougible. Okay. <laughs> it's like bug and edible. Um, so Bugable. yeah, you can find that biggest platforms, Instagram, I'm on Facebook and Twitter sometimes. Um, the blog is Bugable.com. But since that was so hard to spell, eatbugsevents.com is where you can find like the events and stuff. My goal is I will bring, if you want bugs, I will connect you with the people to make that happen or I will bring bugs to you somehow, somewhere uh, in some sort of event format, hopefully. And there is nothing I love more than collaborating with like schools or groups or whatever, team building activities. I will get you the insects. We just want to normalize it. Um, and if you're interested in, in investing in companies or helping them out or joining teams, we have massive workforce development needs. So would love to hook you up with teams or whatnot. Fantastic. Or content creators, because we did make a video in Allie's kitchen, eating and trying some bugs, and they were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't get some right. We were trying to guess which had bugs in it or didn't have bugs in it, and I botched it. Didn't do well. I was convinced. It was really hard to tell which one had the one in it. But Allie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you letting us come to your kitchen your house and run this program run this show and for getting deep with us in the conversation and for giving us <laughs> the last claw in los angeles i hope both of you go home and see how right i am because i'm right these are the last claws no but for everybody else not tuning i'm not going to go on my claw tangent here thank you guys for watching the show thank you for listening to the show if you're listening to this on the audio version um yeah be sure to like comment subscribe all the good stuff just like Ali, we need people to watch, we need people to share. It's the best way to support this program. And there's some merch coming out. I'm gonna provide links to all that stuff and you can let people know you're on the bus or you can let them ask you what rule 63 is. What is rule 63? I can't answer that question. So that's it guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and the bus driver and the bus is out. Kids is the most uh, for those who...